This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Welcome back to the show, everyone. In this episode, we brought back Laura Garnett. You might remember her. She's the performance strategist. But in this episode, she actually does her work on us. She finds our purpose and she dissects our our superpower. And she also looks at our core emotional conflict. This is a deep, deep episode. We really reveal who we are as people and as men. Uh, Be sure to check this out. And if you like it, check out more episodes at HackerValley.studio. And as always, we'd love your support at our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Hacker Valley Studio. We really hope you enjoy this episode. Great. All right. Here we are. We are. I have both Chris and Ron in the hot seat. I know. The tables have turned. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So, Ron, we're going to start with you, I hear. I understand. Yes, that's right. Great. All right. So, so you sent me your Myers-Briggs, which is awesome. So I have a little bit of a sense of your personality type and you are an ENTJ. What I just want to kind of, before we dive in, clarify why I asked you all for that and the difference between personality and zone of genius. And personality is really how you interact with the world. What are your natural proclivities when it comes to the environment or the, or people? And so your personality type really helps me understand more about the kind of potential conflict you might have with others or what kind of people you engage with or the environments or the conditions that are most ideal. Your zone of genius is essentially who you are. So in terms of how you think and the kind of impact that's connected to your soul. So there's a difference there. I like to have, I like to know both. Great. Yep. That, that, that's and you'll see helpful. for your listeners, I'll probably be probing a little bit. I'm in kind of saying with your personality type, this I'll bring in that topic when it makes the most sense in our conversation. Great. Cool. So, where do we start? All right. <laughs> yeah. So, let's start with, you know, trying to understand your genius. And this is the thinking or problem solving that you're best at. So if you, maybe you could share with me the most recent moment where you were really in the zone. And when I mean in the zone, this is an intellectual feeling of being um, totally immersed in the thinking that you're doing. You might lose track of time. Um, Doesn't have anything to do with impact, but just kind of the experience that's going on in your, in your head. And it's a work experience. Maybe you could share that with me. Yeah, absolutely. The last time that is really vivid for me of being in the zone was when I was working on the website for the podcast. And I was Mm. really challenged because I don't program websites for a living. I've learned a little bit through books and have, I've had a little bit of opportunities at work to build some web applications, but it's not like building a full-fledged website. And uh, Mm. this was like a problem that I was looking at. It was difficult, but it was solvable by me. And the best part Mm. was one of my close friends said he was going to sit next to me and help me Google everything and said I should not get up until the website's completed. And that's exactly what we did. We sat there for around six hours, 
fully oh locked God. in and created the website. And it's uh, almost unchanged from what we originally launched. There's a few enhancements that I've done, but that six hour block that I worked on it locked in and solved the task at hand. Hmm. So what specifically about that task was so kind of intellectually engaging for you? I believe that the the most intellectually engaging part was having some resources. Like I was using somewhat of a template to build the website. There was a, a gentleman called Creative Tim that shares his templates and you can kind of have a starting point. And I had the starting point and the, the really stimulating part was changing the template to what we needed. It was tedious. There were a few like just high level problems that I didn't understand how to solve. Like, how do we pull in all of our content from our podcast platform and then display it on our website? So those were like the really stimulating parts that were hard that but that I felt locked me into the problem. So you were in essence taking information from you were you had a template and you were also taking in your the ideas of what you needed from the website and you were creating something from those various streams that's right so you were so is that what was the creation part how were you how did you mold you know bring all those things together I brought all the things together by a little bit of experience of working with just generic problems. Like in my nine to five job, I work with many Fortune 500 customers that want to implement some type of security logic. And the people that I work with, they don't program, but I program a little bit and I also built the website. So I took some of the the creativity from my job, like, all right, just being able to solve problems in a generic way. And then also looked at the problem that we had. We didn't have a website and we wanted it to look a certain way. So I had to kind of Mm. take what we wanted and take some of my skills with just solving generic problems and being good at Googling things and then put it into a body of work, a canvas, a a website. And what, I mean, were you physically bringing the information together or was it all kind of you know, being distilled in your head? I I was taking notes. And when I first did the first draft, I manually input the data. So like, instead of pulling in information automatically from our podcast hosting service, I just typed in the name of the the episodes manually, Mm -hmm. just to get a feel for what the website would look like. And then I worked on like, all right, I made a list. And then I worked on the things that I wanted to automate. Hmm. You had a list like, here's what I want to automate. And then you kind of figured out how to do each as you went. I'm glad you asked, because before we even started the project, I created a list of features that I wanted the website to have. Hmm. Okay. And what would you call that list? Like, like when you created that list, how did you, were you sitting there thinking alone? How did you create that list? Uh, I created the list. There was two iterations of it. Me and Chris, we sync up on Sundays. So him and I had had a sync and we talked about some of the very basic things that the website needed. And then Mm. my friend that was helping me Google, we kind of went over that list together, added like one or two things and then removed one or two things from the list. Hmm. 
Okay. And so that list kind of was driving the goal of the creation. That's right. Okay. And so at what point in this website development, where were the peaks in terms of your energy in this process? The peaks were six hours is a long time. I mean, were were you like buzzing the whole time? (laughs) Not, not the whole time. I think that if there wasn't a peak, it was in the middle. Like the middle was kind of the challenging part. It seemed like maybe the task wasn't going to be completed. The, at the very beginning, we had the confidence. We really felt like, all right, we can do this. And then probably within three hours, it, it started to feel like, all right, this is somewhat of a distant goal. At the four-hour mark, we were feeling a little re-energized because we had knocked out most of the heavier lifting tasks that we had to do, like pulling in pieces automatically from different sources. And the last two hours was really making everything pretty. Like, all right, we had the things automated. How do we put the bow on top? Mm. So here's an important distinction. So that feeling of completion, that's an achievement being. That's like, oh, I'm getting ahead of dopamine because I've accomplished a task. That is not being in the zone. That's kind of, that's what I call kind of, you know, you get a hit of dopamine dopamine from completion. That isn't necessarily Mm -hmm. connected to you being who you are. So that's it. So it's important to to differentiate those moments because completing something and achieving a goal is always going to feel awesome, but it's important to differentiate you know, am I doing the working and the thinking that I love versus did I just complete something or win a goal or get a deal that is, you know, it's like a B12 shot, like, woo, that's awesome. They're different. Gotcha. Okay. So then, so here's then the question then to me that what is forming, do you have another example we could talk about too? Yeah, absolutely. I have another Okay, one. let's. Yeah. All right. So this has to deal more with what I do on a day to day. And what I do on a day to day is I'm a security architect. Mm -hmm. I help organizations and users understand the type of security controls that they want that they want to put in place. And a security control is nothing more than something that is going to enable a user, stop a user or stop an organization from sharing data that they don't want to share, like Mm -hmm. locking a user out of their account as a security control. And throughout my day, I have one hour or few hours to work with my customers. And we typically want to collect the status of how they're using our software and get a get a feel for making sure that they're going to be successful. But a lot of the times during these calls, we also have to do some hands on work with our customer like help them solve a programming challenge or help them solve something that deals with their security logic not working as expected. So there's one vivid example that I have is I had a 30-minute call with one of my customers and I joined late. And when I when I join these calls, I have to really be fully engaged with what they're telling me because mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of time. They have a problem. And typically, I should have a solution. So I joined this call late and I had around 20 minutes left to figure out, you know, what the customer was working on that week, along with solve a challenge that they had. They had a programming programming issue where they were sending data to a server and not getting the correct data back. And mm. they needed me to help them 
display this information in the right way to save time for their analysts. Otherwise, their analysts have to go to another tool and query data and then put it back in the, the place where they were originally. And it just takes time. It's annoying. And that's how analysts get burnt out in the first place. So within this 20 minutes, I was uh, kind of just getting a feel for what the problem was mm. and seeing what code they had in place already and figuring out a solution on the spot. And we, we figured out with around five minutes uh, left on the clock. And this is the, the stuff that I love doing. Like I love the programming riddles. I love the riddles of security that can be solved within a reasonable amount of time. And I love being a consultant for many organizations to help them solve these types of problems. Mm. Oh, okay. So here's, here's what I'm seeing. And again, I think what this could be a starting point because, well, I'll get to that. So here I wrote down two things, creative solution strategist, or possibility problem solver. Yep. Because what is interesting about what you're saying is that there's a creative and what is possible. And I think the word riddle is a perfect, I you could almost say like riddle, but use riddle in that name. There's this sense of expansiveness with the way that you're problem solving. Right. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, it does. And th- there was there was a few that in your book that really resonated. Also, like I love the possibility architect, and yeah, I like I like using the word riddle. I, I almost like kind of combining those two together too sounds really great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the, then the next question is, and this is something you can start to pay more attention to as you have these moments, which is, what is your unique way that your creatively um, or orienting around possibility to solve a problem? How, where does your, where does, even in that five, it's, it's almost like, and again, that process, you'll see patterns when, that you notice it. the way you approached it in that five minutes versus six hours, that there are, there's a theme there as well. And it might just be like, oh, I'm seeing the data to come together in my head, or you're taking notes and you're drawing connections. You know, that is another kind of, that's the next layer of this, which is what is that? You know, how do you, how do you creatively and go, you know, how do you creatively problem solve? Right. How do you approach the riddle? For, there, there's a few things that I always like to remind myself before really tackling any problem. And mm. that's, I'm only presented with this problem because either I think I can solve it or someone else thinks that I can solve it. So kind of putting myself in that mind frame allows me to kind of be patient with the problem, like really look at it and ask, ask the problems, ask the problem, what kind of solutions, you know, do you have? What kind Mm. of solutions can I provide this problem? So I, I think that in my head, what's going on is there's a laundry list of things that I'm making for possible solutions. Mm. And I go through this solution and I think I go through the solutions and in my head, I think about which ones do I want to put in place? Which ones do I think would be uh, best serving for myself or the organizations that I'm working with? And I also like to pick sometimes a new way to solve a problem. So if I've solved a problem 10 times the same way, maybe the 11th time that I see the problem, 
if I know that I can solve it a different way, I'll give it a shot. Mm. So I, I think like part of the problem solving is kind of a combination of teaching someone or teaching myself and also a combination of learning on the, on the spot. Mm. Love that. It's also like when you're talking, I get this visual of a Rubik's cube. It's like you're, you can see what's worked before you're creating new, you're kind of, it's, there's like this constant mental gymnastics going on around what is possible again. Right. Yep. Exactly. Very cool. All right. How does that feel? Does that feel complete and then a, a good stopping point moving on to the purpose? Yeah, I think so. Let's do it. Okay. Usually this one's harder. <laughs> Unless, you know, oh. and I want to ask you, do you have a sense of what your core missional challenge is? A bit, a bit. So I have some some mantras and whatnot, but not necessarily core personal challenges. Hmm. I mean, do you have a sense of the theme? Like if you were to think back over the course of your childhood, your life, are there any sort of central emotional challenges that you've had that you can connect with? Patience, patience. And uh, I think learning, learning has been a lifelong challenge of mine. And I think that part of the challenge is because of my own curiosity. And part of the challenge is because I've always wanted to be a competitor. I, I always love the idea of being the best at something. So I think a lot of the times when I go through any experience, I am thinking of it from a competitive point of view in some regards. And this is kind of just the way that I was brought up, or at least the way that I started to think about the world and learning things. But kind of those two have been ongoing challenges throughout my life. Mm. Tell me more. What do you mean by that? Like why patience and learning? Yeah, I, since, since I have the competitive nature, I want to be as good as soon as possible. I want to go into a new trade or a new class with the utmost confidence and also be the star performer. So like when I was going through grade school, like there were points in my schooling career where I was very competitive, wanted to learn everything about a specific subject. And I would call it a challenge because that could lead to burnout. I, I definitely burnt myself out of specific topics mm -hmm. just by putting on my competitive hat. And the burnout also deals with like my patience for learning about that topic. Like I'll try to read an entire book in one day and then not actually complete it because it's not something that I loved in the first place. And um, just trying to boil the ocean all in one go. Mm. So what's at the root of that wanting to be the best? Why, why were you driven to be the best? Sorry, thinking. I think that I was driven to be the best because of some of the influences that I had in my life throughout being a child and also an adult. Like um, what? Always like been who? a huge sports like fan. Like what influence? Like the sports influencers that I follow, like Michael Jordan, uh, Kobe Bryant, 
you know, I didn't have a lot of friends in grade school. I had like maybe around five to 10 core friends. Mm. And my, my friends also felt like these professional athletes, these athletes that I only got to see for a few hours a week on TV. And, but while I'm watching them, they're doing nothing but greatness. Mm. So I'm like, all right, I want to be more like that. I want to be more like my, my heroes on TV, whether they're in sports, acting, or just doing something amazing in the public eye. Mm. And, and what about what was around you, not on TV? Did you witness that in your family of origin? Uh, me and my family, we didn't actually spend too much time together. Mm. Um, my parents are, they're pretty, they're, they're homebodies. They, they really like just doing things at home. I'm more of a get up and go play sports or do something active, do something engaging with my mind or body. And that's how my core group of friends were. And they were also just as competitive. They grew up in similar households. So we were in this bubble of where, you know, we thought each other were amazing. We thought ourselves were amazing, but we also thought the idols and and figures that we looked at publicly were amazing. And we didn't necessarily relate too closely to our family or people that we went to, to school. Mm. And what do you think your parents thought of you? My parents thought of me as someone that had all these examples of what if, like my mom said that she wished that she named me what if, because I would ask her all these what if questions when I was growing up, which was pretty funny. And my parents also thought of me as someone of a know-it-all, like someone that is relentless with getting information and having it readily available to spit out a fact. So I would do like a lot of just random research, a lot of documentaries to try to really feel like I knew everything. Mm. So it sounds like there was a, I mean, there's a, the, that language, know-it-all, there's a tinge of negativity to that. There is. That it sounds like you probably internalized. That there was something a little bit wrong or, you know, that there's something a little bit not right about being that way and potentially just different. Yeah, I I never took any offense to it. I I actually, when I, when I was a kid, I took it as a compliment. Like that meant I was on track to know everything. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. But there's, it's interesting because in that sense, when you say super competitive, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, there is this sense of proving there's an element of that. Yeah. That's yeah. So the, the, the need to prove is connected to something. There's a, there's a void, there's a, a, there's a void within you that's being filled with proving. So that tells me there's something about yourself that believes you need to prove versus just knowing, you know what I'm saying? Just knowing and feeling versus proving. I would agree with that. Absolutely. Which what I mean is that when you say, oh no, I, I would actually, I took it as a compliment from my parents. I, there's a potential there that that was a defense mechanism or a way of surviving the fact that maybe you didn't believe that you were going to be that great, that there's something in you that had that disbelief 
and potentially it's not even the language, but it's the emotional disconnection from your greatness, from your parents. Yeah. And, and I, from kind of just thinking about it, it, it felt like it wasn't a disbelief. It was a prophecy that I had to mm-hmm. fulfill. Like, all right, you're calling me this. Now I do have to go through and learn more now. Like I do have to maintain and uphold this reputation of being, you know, a know-it-all or being someone that knows a lot about many topics. Mm. To me, and I'll tell me if this is right, there's a sense of not feeling understood there. When, when I was growing up, absolutely, there was a lot of times and experiences I had that where I, I felt like I was not completely understood. I felt like my parents really got me in some regards, but intellectually and also with being competitive, I felt like uh, a lot of people in my life did not get me in that, in that uh, yeah. aspect. Because trying to a common reaction to not being understood is proving your worth. It's I'm going to prove to you who I am because you don't understand what's really here. So I need to work harder to show you. And in a way that you will never Mm -hmm. deny my greatness. Because by not understanding me, there's something, there's a slight denial of it. Right. Yeah, I think that, Part of, part of my denial of whenever I would run into maybe a little tension was when I would run into someone that was more competitive, that spent more time with a specific thing or uh, sport than I did and beat me at it. Like that would that would be more of the um, kind of shot at my ego. Like I would take it personally, like, oh, you know, how did this person do it? Like it's something that I didn't focus on, or I, I would kind of go harder on myself in those, in those experiences when I felt as though I got second place in mm. something. Yeah. Because that external validation somehow, you know, was validation of your greatest fear, which is that you weren't potentially, you didn't have the ability to, to have that greatness. Right. right. So then here's the question. When you are helping others or moments where you feel like you have been the most fulfilled. Is there something or an element of recognizing someone's greatness that you do? Is there a moment where I recognize? Are you oftentimes recognizing the greatness in others without thinking about it? In my current position, a lot. And also, you know, being a podcast host so much, like my my job is now to highlight the greatness in others by helping them. So when we're when we're interviewing people on the podcast, it's all about making them the star and identifying their genius. And when I'm working with my customers now, it's all about enhancing what they've already done. So I'm not going in there and building anything from scratch. I'm really helping them find out how they can make their processes or their skills, their knowledge, much better than what it was previously. Beautiful. There you go. That's your zone of genius. So your genius of being a possibility problem solver, inherently what you're doing is using your greatest intellectual capability 
to help others recognize the greatness that they have in them. Love it. I, I agree so much with that. And I was, I was reading more about your genius and I was like, wow, I, I love that, you know, how you've kind of went through all of these things that you're good at and that maybe you could be excellent at or get mastery in, but there's something that you really, you know, find yourself getting locked in the zone. I think that after I wrote out the examples that we just went over, I was kind of also getting into like, all right, I, I love looking at the possibilities and using my, my mind and sometimes even my body to uncover what is possible and help others kind of get there mm. also. Love it. There you go. And I think, you know, the last thing I wrote down is this is probably important to remember is that, and again, this is all language that I'm seeing, but you can tweak the language. It needs to resonate with you. Has nothing to do with me. Your core emotional challenge is not having your value understood. And I think there's something really specific about that value understood because in a way, the way your genius works through the possibility is you're really, as you said, helping your customers or people see the value in what they've already created. And your job is to help take that and make it even better and sh- for them. Yep, absolutely. Just writing that down myself too. I love the, uh, the core emotional uh, challenge too. I think that that's a great way to distill what I was trying to kind of say into mm. a few words. Yeah. And I will say, you know, use, having that language when, when you're triggered or you're competitive or you're feeling like I need to prove myself, invariably pause and, and just like take a deep breath. And you're going to notice that in this moment, I don't feel like my value is being understood. That's what's driving this, you know, urge to prove. And when you get to the point of right. knowing that your yeah. value, um, you know, that you don't need anything external to reflect your own value, that's also kind of a game changing difference as well. Because that fuel to prove your worth will go into sharing your worth. Right. 100% agree. All right. (laughs) Thank you. That's excellent. Yes. There you go. All right. Chris. (laughs) Are you still are you still ready? No, no, no. I I actually (laughs) fell asleep. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd be curious. I'd be curious if you'd be interested in indulging me with this. So I, I feel like I've found Um, my genius or superpower. I've been calling it a superpower. And I feel like I found my purpose also. I was wondering if we could, would it be possible to start with that? Let's start with that. And then tweak it, tear it apart and be like, nope, that's not it. You know, that type of deal. Absolutely. No. In fact, I meant, you know, that's always, if you've got something to share, share it. Absolutely. Okay. And is there anything you needed to do exactly. with the, the Myers-Briggs thing? Because I, I know we, I, I sent you like three of them because I was like diagnosed as three, like over a long period of time. Like I was first, I was an ENTJ and then I became something else. And then when I took the test most recently, I was even, even something else there. I don't know if you were able to unpack anything. 
Well, here's the here's the question that I would say. Again, I you know I think the re- the test I sent you, I like the usually the results of that are to me in the most accurate. But I can just like the difference, the P versus the J. That that's the big difference that I saw in the different things that you mm-hmm. sent. So the question I have for you is, are you someone who loves and worships structure? No. In terms of when you think of the future, are you building project plans? Are you making lists? Are you like, I can't even move forward without structure in place? Or are you more nope. fluid and kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. no no lists. Fluid. I'm, I'm a cowboy. I, I ride the wave. Okay. So then you're a P. Okay. So then the last, the, the ENFP that you sent... Is, is more accurate. Okay. And it, you know what's really interesting between you two since you're working together is that you have that JP contrast. I would imagine that, Ron, you know, you each kind of play different, take care, you know, you're each kind of, uh, that difference is somehow what makes you great partners. Yeah, there, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences and it. it just seems to work. Yeah. Well, there can be conflict between a J and a P. Um, because a J is very structure oriented. If it's not in the plan, we can't do it. I, this is the plan. We're going to end there. We're going to be there on time. You need to get this going then. And a fluid thinker, a P can be more like, well, I, I don't know. Let's like think about this more. I mean, do we really need to get it? I mean, like the structure can feel very confining to a P. Yeah. I'm sure I get on Ron's nerves all the time. Cause like, I'll call him every other day. I'm like, look, <laughs> I know we said we were going to do this, but check this out. <laughs> Yeah. And to a J, it's like once you've <laughs> finished, you've solved the problem, the problem's done. It's off the list. We're off the desk. Right. <laughs> Let's not revisit that. It's not in the plan. And then, Sorry, Ron. You know, a, a J would say, well, Chris, if you want to revisit that, then we need to add right. another task to that plan. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah. No, so that's why it's really good to know these things. So, okay. So tell me your zone of genius, your genius and your purpose. Yeah. So what what I've been calling it is I feel like I'm a situational alchemist and it it really kind of hit me after talking to my Mm. wife and I've been doing this my entire life and and I really, really like honed in on it after she kind of brought it up. Cause at, at first I had what I thought was like my superpower or zone of genius and it was something I wouldn't say it's stupid, but it just, it just didn't capture what my abilities are. And ever since I was a little kid, right. I've been able to kind of pull things together together out of nowhere. So for instance, mm. like I, I didn't have a lot of money when I was when I was younger. I, I didn't have a lot of a uh, big network. I actually had like maybe two or three friends. But every time I would start something and I would say, you know what, I want to do X. Uh, it seems like out of nowhere, I would start pulling together these things to create the environment or create the the thing that I, I actually envisioned. So for instance, when I was young, I started collecting coins. And it's not like I was a, a traveling kid. I didn't I didn't leave the state of Maryland. And I was just I was like, you know, I'm gonna start collecting coins. And I would say within a few weeks, I had coins from all over the world. And I'm like, and, and thinking back, I, I'm still like, where did all those coins come from? Like I had this box of coins and I'm like, what, how did this happen? And so I, I kind of take taken that 
sort of feeling with me wherever I go. So for instance, when I, I built my first company, I built my first company based off of a phone call. Somebody had reached out to me and they mm -hmm. said, hey, we have a, a need for this role at this organization. And I said, instead of hiring me, would you hire my company? I didn't have a company at the time. And they were like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it with your company. And then so and over the next like week and a half, I formed a company, built a website. Uh, I brought on a couple friends. Like I figured out, you know, government contracting, like all these things. I figured, I pulled all this stuff together, like almost out of nowhere. And mm. I, I also, I take that into to the podcast as well, because I mean, I, I came out to California and, you know, I was living with Ron and, and we had the studio set up, but he, he was doing more uh, informational instructional videos. And when we started, it, it was just kind of like a lark. Like, hey, let's hop on the mics and have a conversation. And all, all of a sudden, once my mind was set on intention of developing and building this podcast, almost it feels effortless. But I started pulling together mm. these resources and I started pulling together these ideas and started to formulate what is is now the podcast today. And and you know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Ron, but I I don't see in in my opinion, like I'm like, how is this happening? Like I, I feel like it's just it's almost like magic. Like that, and that's why I came to this term of alchemy. It's like you're bringing together mm. these components that you would think aren't valuable, but in fact, you're actually creating gold out of those things. Hmm. Love that. And and how do you have a sense of the process by which you do that? I think I think what happens is it, it starts uh, with an idea. Either it starts with an idea or it starts with a problem. And and I'm excited by both, actually. And like and I and I don't tell a lot of people that because a lot of people don't want problems to come to them. Like even when it's like an existential like problem, like something really challenging is happening in my, in like my family or, or my life. But I, I get excited by it because I'm like, I know I can, I can bring something together to, to make the situation better. And so I, I feel like as soon as something happens, my brain like almost like sends out these, these feelers, almost like these crawlers. And what mm. they're doing is they're, they're going to different scenarios and they're touching different resources. Like, is there something here that I can uncover? Is there something there? And, and in fact, it's funny uh, that I, I mention it. Even in my old day job, because I used to be a threat intelligence analyst, which is basically like a, a cyber detective, like figuring things out. When I would get in the zone mm. or when I would get in flow is when I would have to solve a problem and figure out what what happened. And a lot of times you're using breadcrumbs, like really small pieces of data to figure out, to piece together who did what, why did they do it and all these things. And that that's when I would be the most fulfilled at work is where I'm uncovering these like little things. It's like where, where, what stones do I, un, you know, turn over to, to find the solution to, to these problems. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, uncovering little things is it's yeah, that would probably be well, look, here's what I wrote because you said situation alchemist and I wrote down dream to reality mm. strategist or alchemist. Ooh, okay. I mean, alchemist the definition is sorcerer. I mean, I think strategist means there's a 
the reason I use that word frequently is that there's multiple steps that right. you go through in order to bring a dream to reality. Mm-hmm. But what I hear you describing is dream to reality, or in the case of your job, it's like problem to solution, which sounds, you know, it's similar, you know, it's yeah, like, definitely. but it's kind of like the, like what happened here is it's, it's somewhat intangible. You, it's almost like from the intangible to the tangible. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that is, that is exactly it. But to me, when you say dream to reality, that's like, bam, that's, it's, it, to me, that's very powerful language. I think it um, is. I think that's perfect. From tangible to intangible. I mean, that's also powerful, but I, so dream to reality, just kind of like, just really like, um, it's, it's, yeah, that's know, it. I think I'm, every genius <laughs> is awesome, but that's awesome too. That is <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah. But uncovering little things or looking for the breadcrumbs. I liked that language or, you know, there's, there's a process how you bring something from, you know, a dream to reality. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like how do I make this the trail? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I love it. That seems very <laughs> that clear easy. to me. <laughs> I yeah. think so too. Yeah. Very clear. I think you nailed it. Fantastic. We just had to tweak the language a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As long as that works for you. that's it, for No, you. it does. I mean, I think it makes perfect okay. sense. Okay, cool. All right. Purpose that, or now, Purpose challenge. time? Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I wasn't, I'm not sure about the, the challenge and maybe you could help me with that there. Sure. But I, I feel like my purpose and, and my, pur- and this is just me, like my, through my entire life is I felt like this humanistic explorer and, I, and I'll explain what, mm. what that means to me is I am, am so fascinated by people's stories. Like I, mm. like I could, li- I could watch documentaries like all day just because we're going to the depths of who people are at their core. And mm. not only do I like going to these places, like during a podcast, you know, we might start talking about something like cybersecurity centric, but then all of a sudden something in the middle of that conversation turns to the person that we're interviewing. And then we start to go deep into who they are as individuals. For case in point, we had Daniel Mead on and we came on just kind of talking. And then all of a sudden the conversation shifted to his experiences with his dad and, and how much those situations meant to him. And that, and that's where I get locked in. It's like, okay, we found something. There's something that to discover here. And so we'll go and we, we go deeper, we go deeper. And, and, and it's not that I only want to explore by myself. I want to explore either with other people or show other people what I've found. And so like I, I've lived uh, my life through movies when we were kids uh, all, all we would do is we would watch uh, movies together. That was our bonding time. And so mm. now, like when I find like a, an, an amazing movie, I I find so much pleasure in bringing that movie to somebody and just being there. Like it, I almost get more satisfaction out of being there as they're experiencing this movie that I found incredible. And so I feel like as as I'm doing that through the podcast, we're discovering these stories and these these nuggets of wisdom, and then we get to share them with everyone. And that's just fantastic to me. And so I, I feel like I'm an explorer. I'm, I'm discovering different things and I'm showing people the, the beauty that I'm finding. Mm. So discovering 
what the 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 core of who someone is. Yeah, discovering the the core of who someone is, or finding the beauty in what they do. Like I I, I find masters mm. of their craft to be so fascinating. So, uh, did you ever watch the documentary uh, documentary uh, Hero Dreams of Sushi? Oh yes. Oh. Yeah. No, yeah. have so you watched just, Chef's just, Table? Have you seen the series yes, of, of Chef's course. Table? Oh my, oh my god! I have. Oh I god. have. So yeah, we. So, so like, here's the watching qu- stuff like that is amazing. Oh, uh, it's because it's linked to your core emotional challenge. So here's the flip side of that. The what what I, what you're telling me is you're so it fills your soul to get to the root and the core of who someone is. So what that says is the flip side of that is that you never experience someone seeing the core of who you are. Hmm. That's interesting. Is that true? And in, it, it, that is true. And in some ways, and, and I don't, I don't, I'm not like a private person. I'm actually pretty, pretty open and pretty vulnerable, but I I don't like talking about myself. Like I I really don't. I don't like like if we're having a conversation, I'd rather completely put all of the the time and attention on you. Like what are you, what is your life about? What are the problems you're solving? What's the next big thing that you're you're going to do? I it's almost like I find topics about myself and I've had a fantastic life, really interesting story, but I'm like, to me, I find it boring because I've already been there. I've already said the story. And so like, almost to me, it's like, you know, why are we going to talk about myself? Why not just put all the time and attention on you? And, and I, that's something I I just don't understand actually. (laughs) Well, so when you say I have a fantastic life, you could have had a fantastic life, but you've also may not have experienced someone seeing the core of who you are and acknowledging that. Yeah, I would say that. I think so. And here's here's my here's my theory because we're we're similar in this way. I mean, you your core emotional challenge could be not being seen. Yeah, I would say that. And the reason why you don't like to talk, yeah. Well, the reason why you don't like to talk talk about yourself is that it's this is unconscious. You're not conscious of this. Maybe until after today, but the you've fine-tuned your ability to avoid a situation where you're not being seen you'd rather you're very comfortable with seeing other people you're driven to do that but to have conversations where you're not being seen means it's a surface conversation mm-hmm. so you've you've kind of unconsciously created situations where you can avoid that by always being in control and making sure that you can go deep and see someone to their core, because that's what fills your soul. But if you leave right. that control to someone else, it's more than likely going to be surface, and you, the core of who you are, will not be revealed. And that is yes. is not only painful but actually boring to you. One hundred thousand percent. Like I, I tell Ron all the time. Like I, I just do not do small talk. Like small talk does not interest me whatsoever. Oh, so. You know, how's the weather today? Like, I, I just that doesn't fill my soul. Like, I like going deep conversations. And, and I do feel like if I left the conversation to most people, we would never go there. 
And, and it's funny you said that, you know, I, I haven't been seen. I, I feel like I haven't been seen on several different levels uh, throughout my entire life. So like when I was a, a kid, you know, I got picked on or like, oh, Chris is a loser, da, 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 right? And mm. that in some ways in the beginning of my life, that kind of fueled me to 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 strive for success, right? I, I'm pretty successful guy, make a good living, live in a nice area, you know, those types of things, right? Uh, but then it kind of it kind of pivoted, and then so now I, I kind of left that that sort of revenge fuel behind me like several years ago, and now I feel like uh, and, and it's getting better now. But there was a I say a period of ten years or so in my career where I felt like people just didn't see the the greatness that was in me. Mm. Like it's almost like if if you want to see my true greatness, like take off the the restraints, take off the reins, just let me do my, my magic. Let me do my, my trade craft. And I feel like slowly but surely that has gotten better. But for a long time, people just kind of like, oh, you are X button, X seat, and you do X. And that, like, I'm like, no, that's not, that's not who I am. I'm much, so much more than that. But a lot of people, I don't, I don't think see that. The people that see that are the people that are closest to me, like my wife, you know, my family, things like that, Ron. But I don't think a lot of people actually see that. They see what's, you know, it comes out on the podcast. And so people are starting to get glimpses of it. But very few people actually know who I am at my core. Hmm. Yeah. Did you receive that from your family growing up? No, no, okay. I didn't. When you said family, uh, my, you mean your like wife, children kind of family. Yeah. Yeah. Wife, children. Someone needs to go deep. Which is why you go deep with people. Mm. So you're a deep connector, which also, by the way, yeah. is our society has been is crafted to avoid deep connection. Mm. Yeah. But we need more of that. So, and, and do you, yeah. Do, do you think that's do you think that's more off-putting to people though in this age because everything's so surface level and I'm like no I'm not I'm not here to do that I'm here to connect deep. I think the more you are who you are the more deep connecting there will be in the world and the more you will find others that truly see you and put in the effort to see you because you're going to do the same back. Right. Here's the thing the more you are clear about who you are and how you're going to show up in the world and you draw boundaries around those that can never, you know, see you or be, you know, see you, the more you create, you create connections with people that will. Mm. But because we're conditioned by, you know, we spend 20 years of our life being conditioned by, our family of origin, and you're going to invariably be more comfortable around people that don't truly see you because we replicate the environment in which we were, you know, our family of origin. So there might be a continual frustration there versus owning this. This is the, this is what I have found in the value of putting language around who you are is that you can in the moment not be frustrated and resentful and say, this is something I can never have, but just be more aware of, oh, wait, 
all of these people that I'm around are not deep connectors. They're not making an effort to see me because they don't care. That's not who they are. I need to own this part of myself. I need to be this part of myself and I will be, you know, and find the people that can reflect this back. Right. And if I find those people that are also deep connectors and are willing to kind of go there with me, is, is that going to change me in some way? Or is that just an opportunity to, to be fulfilled in that, that area of my life? Like what, what does that look like? I think it's about you experiencing being seen for one. And that's an environment where who you are will be highly valued. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think there's another element of this is, you know, by you being who you are, you inspire others to do the same. And I think there are a lot of deep connectors that are, that are trying to be someone they're not. Right. So, you know, the podcast you're doing, the more, the more you own and, you know, show up to the world as you are, you will inspire others, other deep connectors to do the same. That's great. Yeah. I mean, to me, that that. is, that (laughs) is, uh, that's one way you can start changing the world just by how you operate every day. You know, what to me is so heartbreaking and so devastating is that when people are not owning who they are, and they're just getting resentful and angry and everyone then starts pretending more to be someone that they're not. It just creates a different mm. world. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, it's similar like to, kinda... similar to Ron, like when you feel triggered or you're, you've got, you're anxious or there's a moment that you're like, whoa, like something just doesn't feel right. Invariably, you can pause and say, wait a second, I'm not being seen deeply in this moment. That's what's going on. And again, this doesn't mean that you need to be seen by everyone deeply 100% of the time. It just means that when you're able to make shifts towards deeper connection that you can, and when you're not, then you understand what's really going on versus losing confidence or not appreciating yourself, which is usually what we do. We diminish ourselves before we diminish others. Right. To just notice that. And then again, you, you, this information can help you course correct when that time is right. If you realize, wow, I'm in an environment, as you said, with your office and your company, there's no way I'm ever going to be seen here. It's not the right place for you or your genius, you know, your dream to reality strategist is not valuable. That's a time to pivot completely. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's great. Awesome. And I, you know, I just want to note for your listeners too, I think what you shared about the documentaries and the movies, I have found this absolutely always a case. You can tell what your purpose is by the kind of media that you, the the movies, the stories, the, the things that the books that you're drawn to that you just can't help but you know, diving into and digesting and documentaries about the getting to the core of who people are is, 
is so connected to who you are. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I've learned over time that one of Chris's ways to connect with me, (laughs) you know, he doesn't watch movies. (laughs) That's a way for him to open up. Yeah. And to open up a little bit and say, Hey, I want to bring you into my world. Can you watch this movie? Love it. Well, and that's, that's a way for you to very respectfully ask someone to deeply connect because you're giving them a dialogue. Like, let's talk about this, this, because this was a deep story about a deep going to the core of someone. Let's have that conversation. You know what? You nailed it. You freaking nailed it. I'm, and I I never even thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. Like if, if I find something that's, thought-provoking and deep. It's never like a surface level, like, oh, this is, you know, a slapstick movie. Like, it's never a movie like that. It's always a deep, thought-provoking movie. And I mean, it could be funny or it could be action or it could be mystery or horror, but it it really does open up a a dialogue to have the conversations that I find fulfilling. Yeah. So, And that's the other thing is that you're now that you're aware of that, you can come up with other ways too and potentially be more explicit. Yeah. Like, hey, Ron, I want to have a deep connection. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to the core of who you are right now. Let's do it. Yep. And now you have the language. Let's go to the depths. <laughs> yep. Sure do. Love it. This is That's fantastic. Love it. This is fantastic. And then, so if, if people want to go through this exercise with you, like what are, what are the ways that people can do that? Well, they can go to my website and send me an email and request a consultation if they want to explore doing a package with me. So absolutely, that's how they can do it. Or send me an email, laura at lauragarnett.com. Wow. Thank you so much uh, for this. This was impactful. I am not sure how this is going to come out, <laughs> but this is amazing. Thank I'm you so, so much for, this was for doing so this much for us fun. today. Wow. I love both of what you guys bring to the table. This is just, yes. you know, again, Thank when you. I'm able to see someone, there's nothing, this is my purpose in life. I have this, we have the same, Chris, we're cut from the same cloth in that way. So what a gift. And you guys, I'm just so excited for what, what value you both bring to the table. Thank you. Yes. So grateful. (laughs) And I'm going to be listening to this again right afterwards because I want to kind of unpack some of the things that I said and really kind of go back. Yeah. You know, and good. This is, this is, you know, this was like understanding half, you know, this is like such a snippet of when I work with someone over a period of time, but like use that language as a starting point or play around with it. I mean, I think for you two, your core emotional challenge is very similar, but there's a difference. Do you know what I mean? And so the, you know, kind of understanding value of greatness versus being seen very similar in nature, but the, the different language really speaks to the very fine emotional experience. And that's what I've found is that because we can't really see ourselves, it's easy to be generic and how we describe something, but that really specific language allows you to tap into that emotion and really feel it. And that's how, you know, Again, that's how this this really creates a shift and a deeper connection with yourself, essentially. This is all about like really being connected to yourself. <laughs> <laughs>